dreams of gallant kings, of pretty princesses and their gentle grooms. Oh, the wind, it speaks to me. When I listened to her, my thoughts would race along with the wind, crossing our village, whistling through mountains, between boulders and rocks, ruffling the leaves on trees, flying with the birds and reaching the city where my father lived. And I would wonder what my father was doing at that very minute. Was he looking out a window searching for my face? Crossing the street thinking about me? Or was he on his way here to meet me? I've never met my father. Whatever little I knew of him, I learned from Sakubai. Amma never spoke of him much. Whenever she did, there was a distant, dreamy look on her face, the glow of love. Sometimes, when Amma would take me to the village, I'd look at families shopping in the bazaar, and I knew something was missing in ours. There were girls just like me, holding their father's hand or sitting on their father's shoulders. They looked happy and safe. Amma told me that fathers did anything to protect their daughters. It was something she said I didn't have, something she knew would come my way. All we had to do was wait. I never asked Amma where my father was or who he was, although I yearned to ask. I was always afraid I might say something that would remind her of my father, and at times when I did ask, her eyes would melt into that forlorn, heartbroken look. So I let her continue with her stories, never stopping her to ask if my father wanted to meet me. I'd wait. I told myself. I lived with Amma and Sakubai in a house situated on the outskirts of our little village, Kanipur, at the foothills of the Sayadri, near the border of Maharashtra and Karnataka. It was a very old house, built many years ago for Sakubai by the Zamindar, who owned the land and was her patron at the time. It wasn't a very big house, just two rooms. One of the two rooms belonged to Sakubai, and the other was where Amma and I slept at night. In the corner of our room was a kitchen, a small space surrounded by blackened walls where we stoked the furnace. The house was fenced in, but the wooden fence in the backyard had rotted and fallen down long before I was born. Now the backyard was just an empty, open space. Once Sakubai opened an old trunk and brought out a tattered black and white photograph of a house that looked different, a far cry from the house we lived in. When she showed me the snap, I gaped at the house in the photograph and refused to believe it was ours. That is not this house, I said stubbornly. Yes, it is, Sakubai insisted. She looked out the window as if looking at a different world and I followed her gaze. There, she said, that was where the garden was. Do you see the roses there by the gate and those patches of white flowers here on the side of this fence? I looked, but still couldn't see. Nothing was remotely as beautiful as the house in the picture. Sakubai told me that this house, the house in the picture, had a lovely roof, a red tiled roof with fresh cream paint. When she told me this, I imagined the paint to be so fresh I could almost smell it. The house we lived in now 
The roof was broken and leaked and the color of the walls was faded. Whenever I saw this house from a distance, I could see how the creepers had grown over the walls and climbed onto the roof. The cracks on the wall looked like a painting that came with the house. For some reason, I always thought the house we lived in was very sad. I don't know why I could never see this house the way Sakubai saw it, the way that photograph captured it. The window facing the gate was broken and drooped on the side like a wilting flower, much like a sad face. And when it rained, we had to keep a bucket under the leaking roof. As a child, I would watch the raindrops fall like tears into that bucket and imagine the roof was crying. It should have, I thought, because nobody looked after it well. I could tell Sakobai was always sorrowful when she spoke of our house.